Jenny Detweiler, and I invite you to come and join me as we take a pause in our busy day and pursue soul care, as we allow our bodies to slow down and our minds to be renewed with goodness, truth, and hope. This is PRN. Pause. Renew. Next. Hi, friends. Welcome back. I'm so glad that you joined me here today as we continue our conversation about chronic stress, the winter blues, burnout, and how we can work towards recovery. I've gotten really great and encouraging feedback from quite a few of you recently about how helpful this series has been, and I'm so thankful that you let me know that. But before we jump into today's topic, let's take a minute to center and ground ourselves. We're going to do a really short and simple activity called a body scan. All I want you to do is just pay attention to what's going on in your body. Nothing more than that. You don't have to judge it. You don't have to change it. You're just going to notice and pay attention. If you can, wherever you are, go ahead and close your eyes. If you can't, no problem. If you're driving, please don't. (laughs) But otherwise, just pay attention to what's going on in your body as we walk through this together. First, notice what's happening in your feet. Any sensations, any tension. Then do the same for your calves, up into your knees and your thighs, into your hips. Notice what's happening in your belly. Then move up to your chest your arms, pay attention to your shoulders and your neck. Notice any tension that you might have there. And then your head, your jaw, your face. What did you notice? Did you notice any sensations, any pain, any tension? If you need to, shake it out stretch. Maybe there's nothing you can do about it. Maybe it's just something you're living with right now, and that's okay too. Just take a deep breath and notice. I find that when I do this activity in my office, very often afterwards we feel more relaxed. It just helps to kind of get get quiet and go inward for a minute. And if you're ready, we'll move on with today's episode. Friends, if you missed the first two episodes in this series, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to them, particularly the episode called The Window of Tolerance, because I will be going back to a lot of that information in the coming weeks. But just to give a brief overview, one of the things we talked about is when we feel good, when we feel calm, collected, alert, connected with others, able to learn, and regulated, We call that being inside of our window of tolerance. And most of the time, we really want to spend our time living there. That's where our bodies like to be. But when our bodies or our brains feel like they're in danger, they go one of two avenues. For the most part, they go into fight or flight, which is a survival technique, takes us into a place of anger or anxiety. And basically what we're doing is trying to survive at that moment, whatever it is that happens to be going on in our lives. And that state we call hyperarousal. 
there's a lot of adrenaline, maybe cortisol that's coursing through our bodies, and everything kind of speeds up. Our heart rate speeds up, our breathing speeds up, we may be struggling with racing thoughts. And at the very other end, so we go down from hyperarousal into the window of tolerance, down at the very other end, we call that hypoarousal, which is the opposite of hyperarousal. It's like a lack of energy. So instead of having too much, it's almost like we have too little. And down there, we feel things like depression, exhaustion, depletion, emptiness, maybe. Like a, an inability to engage with the world around us, almost like we've gone inward. Now, neither one of those things are bad. Hypoarousal is not bad. Hyperarousal is not bad. They're just states of being. But we call both of those dysregulation. And what we really want to do is find tools that can help our bodies and our brains get back into the window of tolerance, where we feel much better, able to connect, able to think clearly, and where our bodies are not in as much of a stressed out state. So that's a lot of what we're talking about when we're talking about recovery. Now, in the previous episode, I did not bring up this particular thing, which we're going to start out today, and that is the role of shame. Now, in hypoarousal, we may experience a lot of things, but one of the primary emotions we may experience when we're down there is that of shame. Brene Brown calls shame the swampland of the soul, and I could not agree more. I could not come up with a better definition than that. Could you? It says a lot. I'm sure you don't need me to define what shame is. I think intuitively, we all kind of know what it is. But I'm going to tell you the definition I found. A painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Here's the thing about shame. We all have wrong or foolish behavior, don't we? <laughs> That's kind of the state of being a human. But a lot of the times when we're in hypoarousal, we maybe haven't even done anything that would cause us to feel that way. And this is really, really, really a bad thing for many reasons that we're going to talk about today. But primarily because shame is a state of being that distances us from other people. Now, remember that in the window of tolerance, we want to feel connected with other people. We want to feel safe. Well, shame causes us to back up from other people. In fact, even our body language changes when we feel ashamed. You can notice this even watching dogs or small children. They're going to put their faces down and not make eye contact. And that's a clear indication that they are feeling ashamed about something. Why would we put our eyes down when we feel ashamed? It's because we don't want to make eye contact with anyone else that may give us an indication that they feel as badly about us as we feel about ourselves. We just don't want that to be reflected in anybody else's face. It's so painful. You guys, I think a lot about Adam and Eve when I think about this conversation because before the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when they didn't have anything to be ashamed of, they, were, they walked around naked. They just didn't care. They spent time with God. They saw him face to face. But as soon as they entered into the knowledge of good and evil, they felt shame for the first time. And what is the first thing they did? They covered themselves up and they went and hid. In other words, they did not want to be seen. They did not want to make eye contact. But God, in his great mercy, went and found them anyway. <laughs> And he, I'm sure, made eye contact with them. And he basically said, I see you. He knew all along right where they were because we just can't hide. But in that state, we sure do want to, don't we? 
Isn't that a lot of what depression is, is hiding and isolation. The other hard thing about shame is that it produces a cycle that takes us further and further down inside of itself. So let's say this. Let's say you're feeling completely exhausted and depleted, and then you're not able to do the things you normally would do. Then you judge yourself for not doing the things you normally would do and feel even more shame. And then we get further and further down the cycle. You see how that works? Here's a little example. Let's say you are incredibly depleted, like exhausted. You've used up all of your resources and there is no way that you're going to be able to make a home-cooked meal this evening. So what you decide to do instead is pull out a freezer-burned pizza or maybe you're just going to have cereal for dinner. Well, I'm going to guess that the internal thought process goes something like this. Oh no, I made cereal for dinner. Like what kind of a good mom would do that? I'm sure I can think of five other friends that would have gotten their tail ends into the kitchen and they would have made a, a home-cooked meal, but not me because I'm, I'm just not good enough. Something like that, right? You fill in the blank. You know exactly what I mean. It happens so easily. We don't even have to try. It's just where our brains naturally go. But as soon as we do that, we feel even worse than we did before. And so we perpetuate the cycle. How then are we going to combat shame, you guys? And how are we going to help ourselves get back out of hypoarousal into our window of tolerance? Well, one of the ways that we can combat shame is with non-judgment and compassion. We ultimately want to go from a place of feeling distanced and alone to accepted and connected again. Remember Adam and Eve? God did not leave them there. He went and found them. So I want to focus on ways that we can receive compassion and not judge ourselves when we're in a low place and experiencing thoughts of shame. And there's three different places that we can receive compassion. The first one is from others. Now, you and I know that not all people are safe. I wish they were, but they're just not. And we even may have good people in our lives that just don't feel emotionally safe for us when we're in that place. But if you can think of one, if you can think of two, if you can think of three, reach out to those people. Maybe a mom, a best friend, a husband or a wife, a teacher, somebody in your small group, a coworker that makes you feel good, even if you don't want to tell them all of what's going on inside of you at this particular moment. Although if you want to, please do. But you might just say, I'm in a bad place. Could you come over and watch a movie with me? Just being in somebody else's presence sometimes helps. Or, you know, when we feel depressed or depleted, we don't have the energy to do a lot of reaching out. Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes we wish they would come for us. The problem is people don't mind read. Maybe people don't even know the state in which you're in right now, and you may have to reach out and tell them. So asking for what you need is really important. Although it is risky, I'll give you that. So asking somebody to come over and watch a movie with you, meeting somebody for coffee, something that doesn't take a lot of effort on your part when you don't have effort to give, but will help you be connected with another safe person. And you know... I would be remiss if I did not say. Therapy is also a really great option for this, you guys. You could also talk to a doctor or a life coach. The second place that we can receive compassion is from ourselves. Okay, 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 I know. But just hear me out for a second. This one is probably the hardest of all for obvious reasons. 
If we're the ones that are shaming ourselves, how then can we turn around and give ourselves compassion? Because we're the ones inside of our own heads that are shaming ourselves the most, we're the ones that need to watch what's happening inside of our thought lives. A lot of it's happening without us giving any conscious thought to it. It's just happening. But there are ways that we can intervene, begin to make new brain pathways. And here are a couple examples. The first one is by not judging ourselves. Non-judgment is a really big part of the whole mindfulness practice. But it's really, really important because when we feel negative emotions, it's very common for us to begin to judge those, those emotions and then judge ourselves, which is what happened in that original serial example, right? Like we couldn't just do something. We had to judge ourselves about it. So instead of judging, what about using that same example if it went a different way? What about if we were able to receive compassion from ourselves? That might look something like this. I am exhausted today. I have given everything that I have to give, and I literally don't have the energy to get up off this couch and start dinner. What am I going to do? Well, I can make cereal. That maybe isn't the best option, but you know what? It's a good enough option. And actually, my kids might think it's fun. They don't usually get cereal for dinner. Maybe it would actually be a treat for them. It certainly would be a treat for me to not have to get up and make dinner right now. I think that's what I'm going to do, and that's the energy I have today, and that's okay. Do you hear the difference there? You guys, hear me. This is really hard to do, really hard to do. But if you can begin to see yourself with compassion and grace, the way that most other people would see you, it makes a big difference, especially when we're down in those really, really low places where we don't have the effort to fight. Number three is from God. Kurt Thompson wrote a very beautiful and informative book called The Soul of Shame. If you have not read that book and you would like to learn more about shame from a Christian perspective, from somebody who knows about neurobiology, please check out his book, Kurt Thompson, The Soul of Shame. Here's a quote that I want to read. To this God whom we meet in Jesus, we must direct our attention if we are to know the healing of our shame. We must literally look to Jesus in embodied ways in order to know how being loved in community brings shame to its knees and lifts us up into acts of goodness and beauty. Remember Adam and Eve. God came for them, and He comes for you and me. He loves us so much that He sent Jesus to find us. And remember, Jesus didn't find the the upright and the awesome. He found those that were drowning in their own shame. He healed them. He gave them a hope and a future. He saved them. So when you can't find compassion for yourself, remember that our God has compassion for us. And if it's hard for you to think about that, because maybe you grew up in a church or in a family where compassion was not available to you, then I want to read you some scriptures that talk about God's compassion. Isaiah 30, 18. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Isaiah 30, 18. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. Psalm 86, 15. And from James 5:11, it says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful. 
If it's hard for you to receive that today, then please put yourself in an environment where others can speak that over you. Read scripture or listen to a daily audio Bible app of some sort. Go to a church where small groups and sermons are saying it over you. Listen to some good worship music. All of that helps feed it to us when it's hard for us to feed it to ourselves. Well, friends, I hope that that was an encouragement to you. And now, as you prepare for what comes next in your day, I want to leave you with a benediction from Ephesians 3. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I'm Jenny Detweiler with PRN. Pause, renew, next. May you be encouraged on your journey with Jesus.